tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job and your relationship, start a hobby, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist it so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. I am here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Welcome, I'm Olga Nadal and you are listening to your next great chapter, the podcast to master life transitions with ease and courage. And today's show is sponsored by Divorce for Love. For those of you new to the show, I am the founder of Divorce for Love, where I educate, inspire and coach those going through possibly one of the most challenging transitions you may face in your life. If you are thinking about divorce or have started the process and are feeling lost, go and watch the masterclass I made for you on the five secrets you must know about divorce. These five secrets can save you a ton of money and sleepless nights. The link is in the notes, so head over there right after today's show. Hello, everybody. Today, I am having a guest because I want to introduce you all to my friend, Corny McDermott, and she is... A dear friend of mine that's been on TEDx Talks, she's a best-selling author, and she is very close to my heart because she's inspired me with the amazing transformation she has created in her own life, where she left her really cushy corporate job as an executive at Vanity Fair to launch her very own series of entrepreneurial adventures. And that's what I would like her to tell us today, how she did it, how she works on her mindset, and how we can take a few steps, a few pages out of her book to make it a reality in our own lives. So, Corny, hello. Thank you, my love. You are also a massive inspiration for me. I'm super, super excited to join you today and yeah, to talk to you a little bit of what this journey has been. Was it an easy journey to say goodbye to this corporate job that you were flying in private jets and drinking champagne? <laughs> no, actually, well, I have to say, it's funny. So first I want to mention, because a lot of people think, oh, you were an executive. So it was super easy to start your own thing and go on to do these other great things. And what I want to start with is the fact that I did not begin my corporate journey as an executive. So when I actually started working in corporate, I actually still remember going around job hunting, right? And I remember the first company that I really, really wanted to work for, which was the North Face. And I did end up working at the North Face. And I went and I remember having this interview and I was to start in customer service. And I even remember the interviewer asking me, well, because there were all these standard, really bizarre questions. And one of them was, would you prefer to be a lion or a sheep? <laughs> And I had to answer lion, right? Because I would want to be a lion, right? I mean, we are lionesses. But I realized as I was answering lion that that was the wrong answer. And in fact, I didn't get called back for that interview. But I did get called in later to become an assistant. I was essentially a secretary. And I was super, super excited about just getting a chance. Just getting a chance. Because I knew that if I could just get a chance 
I would do whatever I could to evolve, right? And I think that's one thing that people have to keep in mind. When I started out, I didn't have connections. I didn't have money. I didn't have a lot of things that you would typically have, right? I did have a lot of other assets. And I think it's important for people listening. If you're out there and you're wondering, well, what do I have? Just consider that. You have assets. You have gifts. You have beautiful things that you are here to bring to the world, to your work, whatever you decide that that's going to be. And once you start to just uncover them, and you don't need to uncover them all at once, just start to say, okay, what do I love? What lights me up? What, when I'm doing it, makes me feel good? For me, for instance, one of the things I absolutely adore is reading. I could read nonstop. I just love reading. And one would think, well, how could that help you in your profession? But with what I do right now, I mean, my work is all centered around human potential and how people can understand and become and step into more of who they are, just like what you do. And so reading lots of times, my appetite for that kind of literature is insatiable. And it helps me a lot because I'm able to be very eclectic too in the things that I pull out when I'm working with someone or when I'm working with an organization. And I think that you wouldn't think on the face of it that it could be necessarily very helpful, but it is. And I think that if you're listening and you're wondering or you're thinking, oh, well, it might be easy. It'll become a lot easier for you when you start to identify those things. So I know that didn't quite answer your question, but I don't know if you want to say anything before I go on and answer your question more thoroughly. I love where you're going with it because I think that people, especially in the times that we're living right now, they are being forced to change careers to maybe, yeah, their corporate job has actually vanished and they are coming to the new environment thinking, I don't have any skills. I don't have any assets. I don't have what is needed. But I love that you're saying, no, you actually do. And even things that you may think they're not necessarily an asset, they could be really, really pivotal for your new career. I say that to a lot of moms that come to me saying, well, all that I've done for the last 12 years or 15 years is raising my children. as a sister, that's organizational skills and patience that I will pay many people to have. So it's very important that we do not discount our skills and the value that we bring to the table, especially when we're thinking about transitioning. And then I wanted to ask you, so then once you started moving up and then you started getting a little bit higher and higher on the ladder, what happened? What happened to the point where you went, okay, I go here. Yeah. Well, I often tell this story of this moment and I tell it because it was indicative of a lot of other moments. And it basically was, at that time, we were testing out, we had Blackberries, but we were testing out iPhones at the same time. You know, we had these toys, right? And the thing is, my daughter took, she was two at the time, and she took my Blackberry and she blocked it. And at the time, that was really kind of my main instrument of staying quote unquote connected. And I just remember, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was blocked. It felt like my whole world was in this phone. And it wasn't even until hours later that I was sitting on that private jet that you mentioned that I felt like, what is up? Why is this something like this able to frustrate me so completely? And why am I worried about this instead of the fact that I'm heading out on this trip? And it sort of brought a lot of questions up for me and a lot of questions about what my values were. And I wasn't really clear on that at that time. So I sort of had the multiple cold shower moments and I like to describe it as a, to steal from Leonard Cohen as a cold and lonely hallelujah. It was like this moment where I just realized that there had to be a better way. 
Mm -hmm. And so I started to kind of transition out of it. I did give my company kind of a long period where they could replace me because at the time I was managing and directing two major areas of our business. So it took a little while for me to transition out. And then I just knew in my heart that I needed to move on and that I needed to move into my next great chapter. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is where you are right now. Would you tell us more about what it is that now you do that does fill your heart? It's more aligned with your values. Well, I feel like I've had multiple, multiple chapters since then. And I often joke that I've lived so many lifetimes in this life, but I feel like where I am right now, and it's still just, these are just multiple iterations, right? And I think that when you're becoming more and more of who you are, it's really almost the way I like to describe it is like an unmasking or an unlayering, or you're just taking away all the stuff that's not you. And that was either put on you from external forces, society, family, school, whatever, or you put on yourself to protect yourself or to create a persona, right? And it's interesting that word persona, it actually comes, that word person, it comes from this persona, which is the mask that they wore in ancient Greek theater. So a persona is really a mask. And if you think it's like we're all walking around with these masks and God forbid any of them should fall off because the moment we do, we just feel like, oh, the sky is falling, right? Whereas when you become intentional about taking those masks off, and I feel like that's the space now. It's painful though. You've got to face a lot of stuff when you take those masks off. And it can be most especially scary because when you take the masks off, the risk is, I won't be accepted. Yes. I won't be loved if this mask, I won't be appreciated and I won't be considered worthy. And it's funny because it's the scariest thing in the world to take off those masks that we have. And if you think about it, we put them on so firmly that we don't even realize we're wearing them, right? So for instance, the example that you gave before about a mother coming to you and saying, well, I've just quote unquote, just for the last 10 years or 12, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, and it's like that mask is so thick that they don't even realize that it is something. And of course, they're not going to take off being a mother, but wrapping their whole identity around it and their worth around it is where the confusion and the frustration and all of that kind of comes up and makes it difficult to change. So where I am right now is very much in this process of I'm still also taking off the masks and getting closer and closer to what I feel is true for me. And the way that expresses itself in my business, for example, is that, like I said, work really directly with the, all concepts surrounding human potential. And I really like to bring a lot of science into my work. So whether it's giving a huge talk to a university or a corporation, or whether it's working one-on-one -on -one with someone who's really ready to take off those masks and step into this unknown, which is the unknown is ultimately where we can create anything that we deeply desire, but it's also, again, the scary place where, ooh, what's going to happen over here? But that's actually, I think, where you start to use. I think people actually start to die the minute they just decide that, okay, the mask is like, can't take this sucker off. Like, it's got to stay on. So, yeah, so I work now in human potential and in multiple ways. And like I said, I work a lot with the sciences, but I try to keep it really simple. Because I think that a lot of what happens in what I see is people just say, oh, just say these affirmations or just do this. And it doesn't work. 
And the reason it doesn't work is because your operating systems, in other words, your mind, whether that's your actual, what you've got happening up top, your neocortex and your, all those other parts of the brain that are directing a lot of our activities, or whether those are the minds you have in your body. Your heart, for example, is its own mind. It has its own set of neural circuitry. It has its own mirror neurons. It's a phenomenal instrument that can give you immediate truth. And you don't know how to tune into it then you're walking around with this magnificence, but you don't know how to access it. So I do use a lot of science to explain. If you want, we can go into some of that, depending on what kinds of things your audience might be most interested in. But that's really how it's expressing how this next great chapter, or I would say even book, like I feel like I'm in another whole nother book. I don't know if it's the sequel or the, what's it called after that third one, but there's definitely multiple books coming out of this life. So it's a that's and beyond. <laughs> beyond, who knows? But, which to me is a very important takeaway from what you're saying that we don't quite understand when we start going through a transformation, we want the result right there and then. But it's mm-hmm. the process. I always say when you get pregnant, you don't have the baby the next day, okay? You set intention, <laughs> you go pregnant, now it has to be formed, it has to change. It's going to be different 2.0, 3.0, and then you get to the final product. If we ever do, we'll have another conversation when we are done with this lifetime to find out if we ever got there. But we have to be very patient with the process because it is going to take several attempts. And sometimes it will feel like we took one mask off and we didn't get very far. Well, it's because there are other layers. So we have to keep on working on the process. And then the mm-hmm. other thing that you were saying that I think it's a key component is that we can accelerate the process if we understand the science behind it, which is almost if we are able to get a manual, an instruction manual on how our thoughts, our beliefs create our reality, then we can go in there and hack them, which is, but yes, I would love if you can give us a couple of pointers on how we can biohack our way into success by using the resources that we already have, our mind, our heart, our soul, How can we align them all so we are able to go ahead and say, okay, this layer is off, this other layer is gone as well, and we get closer and closer to our essence? Mamacita, I love this. Well, first of all, I have to say, I want to go back a minute to what you said about childbirth, because when I was going through a difficult transition, you were there supporting me, and you said something really gorgeous to me, because I was like in the birthing process. I was fully in the birthing process. And what you said to me was, you don't get to decide to keep it in. (laughs) (laughs) There is a moment in the birth that we go, forget all of this. (laughs) But no, it's happening. I love it. Now, here's what I will say, because my answer to your question is, I'm going to keep it on the child birthing. And whether that's apropos to everyone who's listening or not, I want you to think we all do have this creative life force that runs through us. So whether or not you've actually had a biological child or whether you've expressed that creative impulse in other ways, even men obviously express that birthing process in different ways. And so I want to stay on the birthing process because I think it's such a perfect way to think about change. Now, there is a gestation period. There just is especially if you've got, let's say, okay, not always, and I'll explain what I mean by that, but let's say if you've got like a project that you're creating, okay, and you've decided that you're now going to, you've been a stay-at-home mom for years, and now you want to launch a business. 
there's going to be a part of that process that feels like, okay, not like now we're having sex, now we're getting pregnant, now we're, but there's going to be a little bit of a time sequence. You're going to have to face that in just the sheer, like, okay, magnitude of whatever it is that you're wanting to create. However, there are ways to go about it that you can feel a lot better about the process, right? So for instance, if you're pregnant and you're not getting enough sleep and you're not catering to it because maybe you're working all the time or maybe you're not eating as well as you would want to be to be feeling at the best in the top of your game. So it's very much like that in terms of also what, when we create something, right? To just start paying attention to, okay, what actually feels good? And then not getting overly attached to this idea that I've got to hack it. It's got to be faster. I've got to be somewhere that I'm not. Because the more you do it, unfortunately, the more distance you create between that which you want and where you are. That doesn't mean to be completely unaware that where you are right now and we're in the kind of the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And to have a clarity around that, I think that can be also really important and really informative. Like for instance, let's say I want to get to Chicago and I don't know if I'm in New York or Los Angeles, right? I have a problem. But if I know, okay, I'm in New York, I want to get to Chicago, what's the most expedient route? And then how can I go there and actually enjoy the ride, Right, I do know people who go from Chicago to, this is actually my family, I love them dearly. If you're listening, I love you people. But they go from Chicago to New Hampshire without basically taking any stops because they just want it to be the most expedient. And they're destroyed by the time they get there and they need two extra days of vacation just to get over the drive. Or at least I did when I did that with them. So my point to you is this, we can actually enjoy the process of getting there rather than saying, oh my God, I've got to get there. Or this thing that we constantly hear like to hack things. Well, if you think about a hacker, a hacker actually sits in a room usually by themselves for thousands of hours before they've quote unquote hacked a system, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just want people to also get clear about that because it is about the journey itself as well. But like I was saying, there are ways to make that journey more enjoyable, to really kind of tap into also powers that can really help you. And I'll just talk briefly about, because I'm a real fan of just people understanding a little bit more about their minds, right? So I'll just talk about the four most common frequencies. And they're actually, the last three, and especially the last two, they're not that common at all, right? So most people, most of the time, they operate in beta. And that is a brainwave frequency that's categorized by very short, very fast brainwaves, right? So what's happening in beta is that you are on overdrive all the time. I mean, the best way I ever heard these four frequencies described was as a, a four-gear race car. And say you're in first gear all day long, pedal to the metal. So taking the business example or get or say anywhere, getting anywhere that you want and taking that first example is like, you're going to make it happen, just something we hear all the time in our society. And I'm like, oh, dude, why do we have to make everything? Let's let it happen. Because we are actually designed to let a lot of things happen. And when we get in our own way, like I was talking about a minute ago, or when we decide that it has to be here now, rather than actually taking a step back and saying, where I am now is actually quite interesting. What's interesting here? Well, when you do that, you start to change your frequency. And the next frequency is alpha. 
And when you're in alpha, most people are in alpha at least twice a day, and that's kind of pre-sleeping, pre-waking drowsiness. And when you're in alpha, your brain starts to release the serotonin, right? And serotonin is this relaxing neurochemical that really allows you to get into a state of relaxation and focus, right? So maybe even sometimes when you listen to classical music or when you meditate, you can start getting into alpha. And that's where things start to actually speed up, but they require so much less effort and energy on your part. And don't worry, I'm going to explain these, but I'm also going to explain a couple of quick hacks, if you will, but they're not quite hacks. They're just what you've got at your disposal all the time. So the third frequency is theta. And theta is characterized by slower, longer brain waves. And what happens when you're in theta is you start to release something called catecholamines. And catecholamines are vital to learning and memory. And really, this is a super fascinating frequency because it's also where you start to convene with another kind of intelligence, okay? And this intelligence is referred to in many different ways, but it's like when you hear someone talk about, oh, I don't know, the book just wrote itself, right? Or when you hear someone say, I was working for like five hours straight. I didn't even realize I was in this other dimension. It's actually just, you were in another frequency. You are accessing a different frequency in your mind and we all have this ability. So it's not like people Papo is special because he did it. You can do that too. And like I said, I'm going to give a couple of quick ways for you to do that. And then this last frequency is called delta. By the way, these aren't the only brainwave frequencies that you can access, and they're just the ones that I'm going to share today so we can keep it at a minimum and I don't keep you here until midnight. And actually, that's interesting. It's 8 p.m. here at 8 a.m. your time. So we're actually 12 hours. For anyone who's listening, yeah, Italia, I'm 12 hours away from the beautiful Hawaii. Anyway, so delta is very long, very slow brain waves. It's where you start to just really chill out. And delta is a beautiful, beautiful frequency to be in because when you're in delta, you start to release human growth hormone. And human growth hormone is basically like a youth elixir. Okay. And it's one of the reasons why I say when I was in corporate, I think I looked 10 years older than I do today because I just wasn't in any of these other frequencies. I was just like running around and attached to my phone or my computer and not taking proper breaks and all that kind of stuff. And all the stuff we're duped into believing that we need to do in order to be quote unquote successful, which is all these lies that we buy into in our society and our businesses and things. But human growth hormone is just fascinating. And when you start to hit this phase, then you really are in direct, I want to say direct access to that, I'll call it divine intelligence because that's how I like to think about it. And where you're really kind of in communion and some things just seamlessly seem to just be there and just happen. And I remember I used to give speeches where I quoted Steve Jobs and he said in this one commencement speech for Stanford, he said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. And I always thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense because I can see in my career this kind of trajectory that I can see now, but at the time I couldn't understand why certain things were happening, not happening. But now it's very clear. Whereas when you're in these states of awareness, states like theta and delta, what happens is you actually do start to connect the dots as you're moving along. It's almost like you see everything as a precious breadcrumb 
on your path to where you're going and you pick it up and it's not even a breadcrumb, this magnificent jewel that is just a prize and an excitement along the way around this yellow brick road. And by the way, while I'm on yellow brick road, I will just add, there's that beautiful part in the Wizard of Oz where the good witch or Dorothy saying, well, I'm ready to go home now. Can I just get home? And the good witch is basically saying, oh, you've had the weight. You could have gone home whenever you wanted, my dear. You've had that all along, that capacity. And so That's ultimately, I think, where I'm getting in the sense that whoever's listening and you're absolutely phenomenal for being here. I mean, the fact that you're here says so much about you. The fact that you're still listening says so much about you and what you're committed to, what you believe in and what you value. And these states are very much available to you and you know it. If it's helpful, I'll give one more way of thinking about these states before I talk about how to access them in easy ways. Do you want that? I would love that because I'm still tripping with the concept of make it happen versus let it happen. I had never really stopped to think about, we talk about the getting to the flow and blah, blah, blah. But my modus operandi is very much make it happen. Give me the step, give me the hack, give me the how do I, that's my way of being productive. How do I make it happen? Let it happen to me sounds so gorgeous, so beautiful. It also sounds almost unreachable, but I want to know, please tell us more. I want to get into that zone. Very. And when you've gotten really good at making it happen the way you have, I was also quite adept at making it happen, right? Am I allowed to swear on this podcast, by the way? <laughs> so when you're used to that and when you become really good at it, you get scared of letting that go because again, your identity is attached to that. You're a person who quote unquote makes things happen, right? So I get you, Mamacita. I really understand. So I want to share this last way because again, I think it'll really help bring it home in terms of what's available to us. So years ago, I remember hearing this banter between Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and the two of them were talking about the four ways of getting ice cream. And they weren't talking about brainwave frequencies. What they were talking about was manifesting, but ultimately we're talking about the same thing here. So the first way of getting ice cream is you think I want some ice cream. The thought of Paul's impulse comes to you that you want some ice cream, I should say. That's more accurate because we don't know the origin of thought, which is amazing. Everything we do know about the mind. But anyway, this thought impulse comes for ice cream. This desire comes for ice cream. And you decide, I'm going to get me some ice cream. Okay. And depending on where you are in the world, and even regardless of where you are, really, you can make it happen. Now, I want you to consider for a minute if you were here in Italia, right? If you're here in Italy and it's three o'clock in the morning, okay, I'm just going to give an example, right? Because this is what beta is like. This is what that first year is like. You're here and it's three o'clock in the morning. There is no place you're going to find ice cream except for maybe breaking into someone's house and finding some ice cream in in their freezer. But that comes with all sorts of side effects. And so does anything that you do at that time to get this ice cream, but you will eventually get it. Like say, for instance, I'm in Italy and I want this and I'm hell bent on it. I might wake up a friend. I might drive through the night until 7 a.m. when I can get to a place on the highway where I can get some ice cream that doesn't taste good. I'm exhausted by that time. I feel like, oh, this was totally not worth it. Okay, that's what beta's like, is essentially what's happening is you are forcing that outcome. And so regardless of whether you get it, and the fact that you can get it is already a marvelous thing, but the fact that you can get it doesn't change the fact that it's going to feel 
quite unfulfilling. So the second way of getting ice cream is that this thought impulse comes for ice cream and say you and I are in the same town and I call you up and I say, oh, I'm really, really craving some ice cream. Could you please pick me up some on your way home? And you say, of course, my dear, certo, obviously, I'd be happy to. And because you're so sweet and I know you would just love to fulfill my desire. And so you come home later that day with some ice cream and this is magnificent, right? Like here we are having a desire and enlisting someone else's help in the fulfillment of that desire. And that is the equivalent of this alpha state that I'm talking about where you start to relax and you say, hey, maybe I don't need to do it. And this is where you might start in your team hiring people and realizing like, okay, I'm going to let go a little bit of that control. Maybe I don't need to be the person. I just talked to one of my clients is this uber, uber successful online personality actually. And I was just talking to him and he was, I've got a team, but I'm so, no one's actually doing what it is that I think they should be doing essentially. And I feel like I have to control it. And, and it's funny because actually the more he started to like let go of that, the more he actually came into an understanding like, yeah, no, I don't actually need to be doing it. I can relax and trust that they're going to bring me the ice cream. And so that's the second way. And then the third way of getting ice cream, according to Deepak and Wayne Dyer, is thought impulse occurs to you for the ice cream and someone just, or some outside force comes along and says, you want this ice cream right? So for example, say I wanted the ice cream and say, once again, you and I were in the same town and you just stroll on by and you say, Court, I just got this great tray of ice cream. I don't want all of it. Do you want to share it with me? Or you say, Court, I just got this ice cream and I'm not really feeling it. Do you want some? And in that moment, I just can't believe it, right? Because seconds ago, I was thinking about ice cream and here you are delivering it to me. Now, what has happened? What has changed? What has changed is you've relaxed around it you don't think, oh, I've got to be the one to do it. You're probably in that state not as attached to it. And this is also a very important part of component of why it's come so quickly to you. You're not as attached to it. So it's like the universe just says, and I want you to think of it a little bit like that with the universe, because it's almost like, imagine a little kid, right? You and I have little kids and imagine if they're screaming and yelling and they're like, I want this ice cream right now. What are you going to do? You're not going to give them that ice cream, right? No, mm -mm. no way. Mm -mm. Mama's not having it, right? So you would just not. So it's the same kind of way if you think about when we're really obstinate about what it is that we say. It's like, it's got to be this way. And the, the response really from the creative force is, you know what? You need to chill out first, right? So, or you're going to get it the hard way. Like I said, it's going to be unfulfilling. So there's this lack of attachment. This is where we start to really become less attached. And then this fourth way of getting ice cream, and this is really where things start to get blow your mind, is where you think about ice cream, you desire the ice cream, and the ice cream just appears seemingly out of nowhere. There's no outside force acting upon it that you are aware of. And I remember when I first heard this banter, I thought, okay, dude, I really like you guys, but what the heck are you talking about? I'm not just going to think about ice cream and have it just show up on my doorstep or right there on my table in front of me ready to eat. But what I realized in subsequent years after listening to that is it really does work that way. And a recent example, I was just giving this because another dear friend of mine, we also just launched this podcast and I was talking about brainwave frequencies as well. And I told the story of, I was 
recently at a conference on neuroscience and I had left my friend's glove in the conference room and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was worried about this because obviously if I borrow something from someone, I want to be able to return it. And I was worried I couldn't find this glove. And so this other woman asked me if I could go get a couple things downstairs. And I said, sure. I said, I can get those things for you because everything was closing down. And I said, would you mind looking around for this glove? I can't find it. But I was in, I was in this state of anxious about it right? So I would definitely was not in those other, I was like, I have to find this glove, right? And you know how you can get that way. I have to find this glove. And so I realized as I was walking away and walking downstairs to get this other thing that I was in this anxious state. So what I did was I started to calm my system down. Basically, I started to cool off. And what I did was I started to put my focus on this glove and the effortless finding of this glove. And what happened was, I remember walking back up, seeing that the conference room doors were closed. I was still very calm. I remember seeing this woman and she had an anxious look on her face. And I remember still feeling very calm, very peaceful. And she said to me, I'm so sorry. I looked all around for the glove. I looked everywhere. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it. I'm really sorry. They closed the doors, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember looking down and right there on my bag, right in front of her, right in front of me was my glove. It was exactly as I had envisioned it. So this does happen to us all the time. So I know that the thing about ice cream may seem a little bit out there, but in reality, when you start operating at these other frequencies, those things do happen. And so what's remarkable about that is that you essentially, you can learn how to modulate and regulate these frequencies. And to the extent that you're willing to experiment and you're willing to let go of your attachment, because that fourth way, by the way, is a complete surrender of attachment. It's like literally you just, I wasn't trying to make, or I wasn't saying like it has to be that way. I was just imagining here it was and I was calming my frequency down. So if you're ready for it, I will give you two of the easiest ways to do this because everyone always says, oh, meditation. And we have a really twisted idea of what meditation is in the West. We believe that meditation is essentially only sitting in a dark room by yourself, holding a cross-legged position for hours, holding a mudra and repeating a mantra. And so, and that is really kind of erroneous. And I think it's hurt a lot of people in terms, I mean, myself included. I love that kind of meditative act, but it's not the only one. And oftentimes it's not the most efficient and it's not the best way to try to get into some of these frequencies. So would you like to know what I think are the two best ways to move? Please. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the first way is something that we are actually told over and over again in our society not to do. We're told that it is rude we're told that it means that we're not interested. We're told that it means that we're tired. In school, we're not allowed to do it. It's taken as an offense. At home, we're oftentimes as well told to, if we do it, we have to hide it. We have to cover our... Our yawns. You told me about this. That's true, yawning. Yes, yes exactly. So we are taught in our society to forsake what is probably the most effective form of meditation that exists. And in fact, yawning has been considered the best kept secret of neuroscience. Yawning, it simultaneously energizes you and calms you. And if you notice any animal in nature before they engage in a fight, they will yawn. 
and they will typically stretch with that yawn. So this happens naturally to us humans too. It's just that we've learned to block it. We've learned to suppress our yawn to a point that we even suppress our body as it's yawning. So very few people will let out this full body yawn where they just like, and I do this all the time. I scare people left and right when I do it, but I'm like, there's no way in hell that I'm holding that in anymore. And I would encourage people to do this because one, it does instantly alter your frequency. Literally within one minute or even less of yawning, you will alter your brainwave frequency because you're sending very clear signals to your brain, which is then sending very clear biochemical reactions into your body, okay, that say, oh, we're safe. A yawn means I'm safe. And by the way, yawning with other people creates that sense of safety and it actually releases oxytocin as well, which is, you've probably heard is like the love hormone, the love chemical and oxytocin is a very strong bonding chemical. So I often encourage couples or families to yawn because it's a beautiful, beautiful way to just reestablish harmony and to really put everyone in this like peaceful but energized space. And so yawning is the first thing I would say, just like let that yawn loose, teach other people, let's stop denying it in our schools, let's stop telling this lie, this is stop perpetrating this lie about yawning because it's just simply not true. Then the second way, which is really beautiful, oh, it's so healing, is laughter. So laughter can be a little bit more difficult to come by in the sense, but I have sometimes within workshops that I've done around the world, I have actually led laughter, what I call laughter meditations essentially, or something like that. And I did one actually this past year in California with a dear friend, Adam James, and we had the whole room just laugh. We just started laughing. And then it just became, at first it was a little forced, and then it just became this hysterical laughter. Because as you're watching, the same thing happens with laughter that happens with yawning. Okay. So again, I highly urge couples to do this as well. What happens in laughter is this like full body release. And what also happens is that you start to see when we laugh or when we yawn as human beings, we're wired in such a way that we inspire that in the other human being. In other words, it's actually really something called your mirror neurons commonly called mirror neurons, but they're also called Kubeli neurons after the scientists who discovered this part of our, the function of our brain. And Kubeli neurons, essentially what they do is they mirror or they play back. So when someone smiles at you and you get the urge to smile, those are your mirror neurons at play. And like I said, you don't just have them in your mind, you have them in your heart, which is fascinating. Or at least maybe that's my own belief. Actually, I have to see if that's actually scientifically proven, but I truly feel that we have them in that heart mind as well. So we have this ability, right, to mirror. And if you see people who don't yawn when you yawn or don't laugh when you laugh, is a little worrying. Studies show that it might that person might be a sociopath because there's this lack of empathy, there's this lack of connection, a total turning off of that connection within the mind. And so that's also interesting. But I would say that's a side note, but I would say definitely cultivating these in yourself and in others. And I know it can seem at the beginning, like when you first start, it can seem a little weird, it can seem a little awkward, especially if other people are around. But persist, my friend, because these will alter your frequency time and time again. They're natural. You don't have to pay for them. You don't have to pay for them either economically or emotionally after you've consumed them. You actually will just have this constant total benefit from them. So yeah, those are two little sneak peeks. Little gems. I absolutely love them. I love that they're so accessible. We can do them anytime. I am going to 
propose it to my family, especially with children. Come on, laughing and yawning. It's just, we're going to love it. We're going to do this. And I just want to leave everybody with these takeaways that to me have been incredible. You blew my mind explaining mm. the differences, the different ways to get ice cream. Loved it. <laughs> and most importantly for me, I'm going to let it happen. And I'm going to change my frequency into these states that let things happen by mm. laughing, yawning, and having more of these nourishing conversations. That's another thing that I think is so important and we'll bring you back to talk about this, but the power of connectivity with other soul sisters, people who can teach mm. you these things. I mean, come on, in less than an hour, my whole way to approach my goals and my dreams has just shifted so i cannot imagine what people get out of working with you i am so honored to have you in my life corny and i know that everybody that listened to us has just felt a shift or at least like we always say just a little drop of inspiration just put it out mm -hmm. there and for that i want to thank you and my people are going to want to find you where can we find more of you please your TED talk your book your social media. Thank you, my love. So I'm not as active on social media. I may change that, but my website is court, C-O-R-T, at courtinc.com. And maybe that can be in the show notes for anyone who wants to connect. My team and I would love to hear from you, love to hear what you've got going on. And my book is called Change Starts Within You. And I am also actually right now, as I mentioned earlier, launching my very own podcast and it's called The Superhero in You. And what it is, I mean, they're 20 minute episodes and they're divided into basically introducing a concept and then moving into the science, kind of very much what we did today, and then an interactive component. So something like the yawning or the laughing. And so that people can have these straightaway takeaways and within 20 minute bites, and I'm launching it together with a dear friend, Valentina Hernandez. And so, yeah, so if you want to tune in there, I'd love for you to be there. It's also going to be on YouTube. And so we'll have a channel. I don't know what it is yet, but if you tune into my website or if my newsletter, I don't really necessarily call it a newsletter. It's like a love letter that I send out every month or so. And what it is actually in that is what's making me move, what's making me laugh and what's making me cry. So if the resources today helped and if what Olga said helped, which I'm sure you had to say a minute ago, of like, I'm going to laugh and play and do all of this. If those things are things you're looking for more of in your life, then just tune in, please. I would love to have you there. I'd love to have you part of that community and be in touch with you as well. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Olga. I love you. I love what you're doing. I think you're a total rock star. I'm so happy and honored to have you in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Sister. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And yes, look on our show notes. All the information to find Corny will be there. And with this, we're going to say goodbye and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe and review my podcast because I love hearing from you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Divorce for Love and join our Facebook group in the show notes.